All right, guys, uh, for this episode, you know, Jed and I, we always try to find you some little nugs that maybe you haven't been able to find on your own. And we uncovered the lost arc of information about Roadhouse. We found an audio of the original pitch meeting where Joel Silver is selling this movie. Here you go. Joel, what's up, my man? It was great seeing you at the Ivy last night, and that group sex orgy we had was very good. So what do you have for me today? Because Predator, 48 Hours, and Die Hard, we've been hearing a lot of great things about. What do you have in store for us? What can we do with Joel Silver? I'm telling you, man, this, this what I'm bringing you today, most exciting project I've ever done. I mean, this shit is green light o'clock. I am so fucking pumped. What is it about? Please do tell. I mean, it's it, it really, it's about nothing, but like at the same time, like everything, okay? It's about everything. I'm telling you, you ready for this? Look at me, look at me. Patrick Swayze Karate Bouncers. I I understand the words you just said. I don't understand the, the guy from Dirty Dancing. Is that who we're talking oh, about? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, big time, man. I'm talking fully clothed barn sex. Okay, strippers, monster trucks, knives. Everybody's got knives, knives everywhere. Joel... You okay? I mean, last night was a little heavy, so... Oh, I'm good, man. I'm good. I mean, I mean th- this movie, throat ripping, chicken dicks, I mean, threats of prison sex, my man. Oh, so, so far, it's set in a prison? That sounds interesting. We could work with that. <sighs> no, man. Jesus. What, what, what are you not getting? Okay? I- Hot doctors, okay? Polar bears, pubes, okay? I'm telling you... This thing has stories, pubes with a story with them. Okay, stop digging. You've struck gold. Sold! Can I buy you guys a drink? Guess not. Patrick Swayze is... Dalton. I thought you'd be... bigger. Opinions vary. When he's around, anything can happen. How's a guy like you end up a bouncer? Just lucky, I guess. And usually does. If somebody gets in your face, I want you to be nice. Don't don't be rude. Ask him to walk, but be nice. Help this gentleman to the door. Until it's time to not be nice. So says the fighting philosopher. He may be hard to handle. I keep talking, you're going to go off thinking I'm a nice guy. I know you're not a nice guy. But he's easy to like. What's the matter, Dalton? Don't you like women? Worst I ever had was wonderful. He's not what you'd expect. I thought you'd be bigger. (laughs) But there's one thing you can count on. He's the best friend a good time ever had. You guys tired? Doc, I'll get all the sleep I need when I'm dead. This is my time. I'm not afraid of him. I guess you'll be having that fire sale now, all right? (laughs) Get your hands full, kid. I just think I'm looking at a dead man. (laughs) Patrick Swayze. For that line of work, I thought you'd be bigger. Gee, I've never heard that before. Roadhouse. Welcome to Cigarette Birds. It's Cole and Jed. We have a very special episode today. We are going to discuss Roadhouse, the 1989 classic that didn't become a classic until several years later when it gained momentum <laughs> on cable TV. But Cole, how you doing, man? You excited for today? I'm very excited. This movie makes me so happy 
because it's one of the rare chances for us to just look at a movie and say, what the fuck for two hours, but love <laughs> everything that happens on screen. Where was the first, when was the first time you saw this film? It had to be Cable. I, yep, I, same here. You know, it was on forever when I was a kid. So mm-hmm. I remember like renting it and getting the non-cable parts uh-huh. for the yeah. first time, which I was probably in high school. And I was like, holy shit. Because TBS yeah. would, you know, skip over all the, you know, quote unquote good stuff. But all the nudity. Yeah. Nudity. A lot of the, you know, the swearing, whatever. Yeah. But violence, though, was all good. The vi- Keep all that violence <laughs> no, in. No problem. No problem at all. That's it. All fine. But I, I I dig this movie for a bunch of reasons, but mainly because it is such an eight like this is the quintessential eighties action movie. Oh yes, where nothing make nothing makes sense. The plot doesn't make sense. The Mm-mm. action actually doesn't make sense. But it has all the things that white dudes in the eighties were into. It's got you know some drugs. It's got karate. Because everybody knows karate in the 80s. Everyone does, of course. You know, we've got, everything has to happen in bars. You got to have strippers. All the stuff that was huge in the 80s. There's a fucking monster truck for no reason. Bigfoot is in the film. And you know what is so crazy to me? And we're obviously going to get into all these little aspects. Uh, We got to cover all of Roadhouse for sure. (laughs) But if you're trying to be inconspicuous and you're in the parking lot of the bar, why did you drive the Bigfoot truck there? Why are you spying on people and you just, I'm just going to park in a Bigfoot truck, which tires are six feet high. Yeah. First of all, you only see people getting out of this truck. And I don't know, maybe I'm showing my age. I don't know if you felt the same way, but I'm watching and every time they get out of it, I'm like, oh, that would hurt the knees. That would not be fun to get out of that fucking truck. No, no. I No. I'm looking at those guys jumping down. And especially, I think there's a, there's a scene where Tinker gets out of it. Uh-huh. I don't. I don't think so. No, nope. I don't. No, nope. he definitely not getting back in. That's no, sure. no. Oh, Tink, Tink, you're gonna get some time in this episode. But to your point, absolutely agree. Quintessential '80s. But this is kind of to me. This film has the bones of a western, and that's what they were trying to do in many ways. You have the mentor to the hero. He's coming to tell him, you know, things that he needs to do, like hit the road, stuff like that. Um, You have the posse coming to back up the hero. We have protagonists, antagonists, love interests, all that stuff. This is what the action movies were trying to be like. They were trying to be the new Westerns at the time. And this film pulled off some stuff. Yeah. I will will say that. It's it's an exciting movie. It's a fun movie. It's never boring. Like there no. is there is no scene where you're like, can we just get through this exposition and be done with it? Not at all. No, no. If I can flies by. Budget I read was nineteen million and it made thirty, opening five point nine. I don't know. It was a box office flop, but to me that sounds like pretty decent numbers. Well, what were they expecting? That was my question. I just read everywhere flop, 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 and I'm like, you almost doubled your money. I don't get it. I don't get it. I mean, obviously, gained cult status when it came on cable, as as we said, because it just kept playing over and over. Like, you turn on TBS, this fucking movie is on all the time. Which brings us to an interesting fact that you and I have discussed before, but some of the listeners may not know. And there's a certain actor, Hollywood legend, icon, whatever you want to call him, who loves this fucking film. Yes. Okay, Bill Murray makes no bones about the fact that he thinks it actually is a complex plot, and he likes it as a film overall. He likes the job the actors do. But he loves it so much that whenever him or any of his brothers see this film on TV, 
they call up screenwriter Mitch Glazer. Now, Mitch Glazer wrote Scrooged, but Mitch Glazer is also famous for being married to Kelly Lynch, who is the female love interest in Roadhouse. Swayze has several hot, passionate sex scenes with her. And whenever whenever this movie's playing and those scenes are on, one of the Murray brothers or Bill himself will call Glazer and be like, hey, Channel 47, uh, Swayze's fucking your wife again. <laughs> He's even done it long distance from Russia. I mean, that is his comedy gold, and that is amazing, and it speaks to how timeless and amazing Roadhouse is. I think anybody who's seen this movie has at least at a minimum a positive reaction to the experience because there is such a a chaos to what you're watching and it's fun like it's actually kind of a comedy and absolutely it I, is I, I saw where the director was saying I'm sorry Rowdy Harrington was mm-hmm. saying that the comedy was somewhat intentional to which I'm like well I fucking hope so because <laughs> if if you were going for straight drama in this movie, you failed miserably. Well, the fight scenes, I mean, are insanely hilarious, and they're meant to be cartoonish, it seems like. I yeah. think I read something where he said they were modeled after, like, Keystone cop battles. And yeah. it's totally the way people getting beer bottles thrown and just, like, all of a sudden hitting their head. And it's they're very cartoonish, but I think when it needs to get serious, like, you know, your final battles, it totally embraces that. And, I mean, look, I just want to give a quick shout-out to action star and kickboxing champion Benny Urquidez, who trained Swayze. I think the guy had like 11 fucking black belts. Yeah. He's qualified. a kickboxing legend from L.A. Just ridiculous. Trained David Lee Roth, John Cusack, and Duff McKagan, so don't fuck with those guys. Right. Been in a fucking ton of action martial arts films. That's why these fight scenes look so good, especially the one-on-one fight scenes, because they're really they're really entertaining. Yeah, they're, they're heavily choreographed, and they're skilled, but I did see where he said at the end of the movie, he was like, yeah, I think Swayze could actually be a competitive kickboxer. And I'm like, eh, slow your roll. Um, <laughs> I respect what you're trying to do in order to drum up press for the movie. But yeah, no Swayze's shit. got a bum knee. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't think he's going to go far in a professional kickboxing tournament. But uh, b- before we start breaking down the movie as a whole, let's talk about who made it. So we have Rowdy Harrington, who directed it. You probably have never heard of him. And... After this, he did Bobby Jones' Stroke of Genius, a golf movie about Bobby Jones starring Jim Caviezel and uh, Claire Forlani, and then nothing else. That's pretty much it. Well, hold on now. Hold on. Okay. (laughs) He also has a story credit on Bobby Jones' Stroke of Genius. He did Striking Distance with Bruce Willis, also co-wrote that, that Bruce Willis film. But my favorite is he did the best Gladiator movie, or the best film called Gladiator with Cuba Gooding Jr. and James Marshall. Also about fighting in boxing. <laughs> I'm not even... I don't even want to engage in this conversation. Have, on, in, all, in all seriousness, have you seen that Gladiator movie? No, I have not. Oh my God, you got to watch it. It's so bad. It's 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 Karate Kid with like boxing, but Cuba Gooding Jr. is in high school with James Marshall's character, and Cuba Gooding Jr. is just like boxing on the side. Brian Dennehy is in it, R.I.P. R.I.P. And it's it's a crazy fucking, this is a crazy fucking movie, but that's actually the first Gladiator I'd seen, <laughs> mainly because it came out in like 92. Sure. And <laughs> the Russell Crowe <laughs> Gladiator knocked him out till, till later. But he was also the black and white panda on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Fun little fact. Wow. Deep. Yeah. You went far deeper into research for this movie than I did. <laughs> uh, but here's a couple of things that kind of blew me away. The, the writer, R. Lance Hill, this really was pretty much all he wrote. Uh huh. But the director of photography 
Oh, yeah, Dean Cudney? Yeah. Oh, yeah, all the Back to the Futures. Oh, yeah. Gene, Jurassic Park. This is why this film looks pristine. <laughs> and then the score was Michael Kamen. Two-time uh-huh. Oscar nominee Michael Kamen. And I do, without any sort of sarcasm, admit the music in this movie is really good. Oh, the music's amazing. It's, it's one of, if not the best part, it's one of the best parts of it. And the soundtrack, I saw music supervisor Jimmy Iovine. So they were really heavy on the music yep. and they really wanted it. Now, I want to, you think it's a good time to discuss one of your favorite people and musical artists that's ever existed? Absolutely. Take it away. Let's talk about Mr. Jeff Healy. Okay, so Jeff Healy plays Cody, the blind guitarist and lead singer of the in-house band at the Double Deuce, which we will break down the absurdity of that statement in a minute. (laughs) Jeff Healy, an actual musician, a Canadian blues musician who is incredibly talented. I encourage everybody to go out there and listen to as much Jeff Healy music as you can find. Uh, He was blinded as a child at like 18 months old. He was obviously blind his entire life. He died uh, at the young age of 41. And he had a big hit. And I think a lot of you will have heard this song without having any idea uh, who did it. But the hit was called Angel Eyes. You will be hearing it at the end of the episode, I promise you. It's just entertaining music, and I always got a kick out of the fact that for some reason they name him Cody in this movie, as opposed to like pubbing up his album that was coming out that had Angel Eyes on it. That's that mm-hmm. album came out in '88. Uh, yep. But they give him some speaking scenes, and they they actually make a character out of it. And I let's just I'll be honest, I love Jeff Healy, so that's my that's my Jeff Healy minute with Cole. Um, it's sad that he passed away so young because I think he had a ton of really good music uh, to put out there. But there's a lot out there that you can find. It's really, really good. And Cole does own it on vinyl. Oh, I absolutely have him on vinyl. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And listens to it. It's not just one of those like token things where, hey, here's some vinyl that I just have to have. No, he, <laughs> he listens to this shit. He's put it on several times when I've been over. <laughs> yeah, I don't. You're correct. I don't have enough vinyl to be like, yeah, I just bought 95 records. Just put on the wall there. <laughs> Um, I want to talk about a couple casting things that I saw. Now, maybe you saw some of these. I'm not sure. Annette Bedding originally going to play the doctor, the Kelly Lynch role, Elizabeth Clay. Thank fucking God that did not happen. I love Annette Bedding. Annette Bedding would not have been good in this film. And Swayze realized it right away and got her fired because there was no chemistry. Yeah, that wouldn't have worked. Uh, with you, Annette Bedding, classic, incredible actress. Just no. Just hard pass. No. John Doe. As a bartender, <laughs> founder, and bass player of the band X. Honestly, I know John Doe from Great Balls of Fire, where yeah. he plays, yeah, obviously Jerry Lee Lewis's cousin that he's living with, and, you know, whose daughter Jerry Lee Lewis marries, and all, all that, and um, <laughs> I'd never all, heard... All what, Jed? All what? All, whatever. You can go watch the movie. Great Balls of Fire is a classic American film. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> No, uh, I'd never heard of the band X. Had you ever heard of that punk band? No. The fact that John Doe is associated with a punk rock band is insane to me. Not only because he's in this movie and he's in Great Balls of Fire, he's in Pure Country, he's in a million 
things, which I can't understand because he is objectively terrible. See, see, I'm staying and you're going. Oh, look here, chicken dick. Like, <laughs> what, what? Now, I didn't hear you say that. <laughs> well, I'm saying it now. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. There were no take twos in this movie. Zero. No. You can't have them. You can't have them. I don't know where that 19 mil went, but it did not go to extra film for extra takes. Explosions. It went for explosions <laughs> that woke up neighborhoods. <laughs> okay. Uh, Red West, who played Red Webster. Evidently, he was part of Elvis's crew, like yeah. the Memphis Mafia, like totally friends with with him. Maybe that's why uh, Wesley says, Elvis, play something. Maybe that's an inside little nod. I, I don't I don't fucking know, because at no time in the movie is Cody referred to as Elvis other than that scene by Mr. Brad Wesley. I want to hang out with most of the people in this movie, especially in 1988. But there's nobody <laughs> I want to have a beer with, get drunk with more than Red. No shit. The crazy shit he's going to talk about. Totally underutilized in this film. Yeah, he's good, too. Actually good. Uh, Then we have Ben Gazzara, which I do want to talk about for just a minute. And I think we heard at the beginning of the episode the pitch, the original pitch. We got that audio. um, Yeah, no, we got that. From Joel Silver. But he skipped the part where he said, I need a villain. And we're going to have it as Ben Gazzara. And he's going to be a tough guy. Yeah. What? How is Ben Gazzara kicking the shit out of dudes? I don't, I don't, not. yeah, I don't get it at all. I feel like for Ben Gazzara, he looks back on this or he did when he was, you know, RIP Ben, but he looked back on this as his version of Obi-Wan in terms of Alec Guinness was in many, many classic films. Great actor. Everyone knows him as Obi-Wan. Yeah. Ben Gazzara in many Bogdanovich films, in Cassavetti's films, in had a huge career, just Great character actor over the years. People know him as two things. They know him as Brad Wesley and Jackie fucking Treehorn. And because they know him as Jackie Treehorn, that's why I have it on good authority. The Coens love Roadhouse. Yes. They have to, right? I don't think there's any modern filmmaker, though, that could have grown up in any era that Roadhouse was popular or on cable and said they don't like it. Like, I can't even, I can't fathom somebody saying, yeah, Roadhouse, what a piece of shit. No, Roadhouse 2, that's a piece of shit. That is an absolute piece of shit. God damn it. But yeah, you know, Gazzara, he plays prick to perfection, in my opinion, but he's not tough. No, like having him beat up that guy who's a miserable coward or whatever. Yeah, I'm sorry, boss. Yeah, I, I just, yeah. Doesn't doesn't make sense to me. What does make sense to me is him dressing up as a poor man's belloc and singing Frank Sinatra songs or whatever in a shitty Mustang and weaving all over the road. That makes sense to me. (laughs) I'm happy you brought that up because every time I watch that scene, I'm like, okay, Brad, you feel like you own the town. You can swerve for whatever reason. If there's a Mack truck coming down the road, your ass is getting out of the fucking way. Okay, it's just it's like stupid. What what a stupid flex to have. Yes. Okay, I just don't I don't get it. His jeans tucked into those the most metrosexual boots for even today that I've ever seen. I just the the, the fashion as a whole. Like, do you want to talk about the fashion? Yeah, in the let, film let's real quick? let's get to the fashion because I we can't go through the rest of the movie and not talk about the absurd clothes, the the picnic, yes. the picnic dress. For Kelly Lynch. <laughs> the Italian the Italian tablecloth that she was wearing. 
we've got a, a Swayze with the suede jacket sweater vest for sex time. That was an interesting play. <laughs> Layers during sex was an interesting call, okay? <laughs> then we've got the karate gi shirt tucked into the jeans. So it's like it's like he has a mullet. And then he has mullet clothes where he's like, I'm ready for karate up top, but then I'm obviously business cash on the bottom. Just jeans and a shirt, guys. With Like, Wade Garrett gets it. Wade totally gets it. Yep. Yeah. I mean, the parachute-like pants. First of all, all of Dalton's clothes, except for his sweatpants, except for his casual wear, are about five sizes too big. Yep. Don't understand that. Has that deep V that he, that he has with the layers. And then you're like, can't go deeper than that. No, I can. Karate Gi V <laughs> is an even deeper V where it's basically like the bottom of the V is where it gets tucked in. <laughs> I just can't believe it. I've never seen it. I've never seen it. It's it's insane. Yet Swayze, because, I mean, I'll say it right here. He's a beautiful man. That's a beautiful okay? man. Yes, it That's is. a beautiful man. Mm-hmm. It's a great actor. Yep. An underrated actor, in my opinion. Very much. Completely underrated. We'll get to that. But... He was hounded on set by fucking groupies. There were Swayze groupies at the time. Dirty Dancing, I don't think we realized, because we were so young, how big of a film that really was. No, I totally agree. It's the stories of him having to have bodyguards on the set of Roadhouse, because he wasn't really a big star up to that point. He had been in some stuff that people had seen, but it wasn't like everybody was going crazy for Patrick Swayze. There were... Women who got on a like a pontoon boat and floated down the river that separates Emmett's house from Brad Wesley's house. So during the fight sequence at the end, they're like, oh, we got to stop. We've got a pontoon boat of women floating down the river trying to see Patrick Swayze. That's insane. I cannot comprehend. Maybe because I see movie sets right now as just super on lockdown mm-hmm. uh, that it doesn't make sense that anybody would be able to get on the set that doesn't have credentials. But, you know, they're in the middle of nowhere, and apparently these groupies were able to gain access somehow and just hound Patrick Swayze forever. But Kelly Lynch talks about how all of that stuff was absolutely nuts, but everybody had a great time making the movie. Uh, So it's good that everybody kind of had a sense of humor about what they were doing. And yeah. enjoyed the process. And, you know, because she got roped into it when, when they got Annette Benning out of it. She got brought in because she was under contract with United Artists. She mm. had, I think, one or two more movies on her deal. And it was one of the last, like, contract player type of contracts that still existed. And Silver was like, you need to be in this. And Kelly Lynch was one of the it girls of the 80s movies. Absolutely. Cocktail, Bright Lights, Big City. Drugstore Cowboy. Drugstore Cowboy is so good. I really like that movie. Yeah, and she she's she's honestly good. Now, yeah. she's not great, but she's good. She's a good serviceable actress. Yes, and I feel bad because she did, you know, I think her attempt at being a leading lady was John Hughes's, I think, last directorial uh, movie, which was Curly Sue. Mm-hmm. And everything I've ever read about Curly Sue was that was a nightmare. Jim Belushi was a nightmare. Uh, him and John Hughes did not get along at all. That movie ended up turning into something totally different than what it was. And it, it really underperformed. I remember seeing it as a kid and liking it, but I haven't watched it since I was a kid. I'm not sure that it stands up, but... It does not. I watched it recently. It does not stand up. Yeah, I, I can't imagine that it does. Uh, very few things would Jim Belushi do. So mm-hmm. uh, I think that that was her opportunity and it kind of fizzled. And then she's, she's continued to act. 
Yeah, I remember seeing her in the jacket, the Adrian Brody, Kira Knightley film, which uh-huh. I enjoy. I like that movie a lot. And she was like Kira Knightley's mom. It's just random to see her popping up there. But she's allowed herself to age gracefully. Yes. She hasn't, in my opinion, tried to hold on and try to yeah. get a bunch of surgery or anything. Still, beautiful, still a beautiful woman. woman. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but, you know, her look, her aesthetic in this movie, too, and, and really Swayze's as well. You know, that perfect 80s, way too tan, way too blonde. <laughs> like, all the mm-hmm. all the women in this movie... Uh, and Swayze are so tan, it makes no sense to me. It, it doesn't at all. But it's none of that stuff matters. Like the movie's not trying to make that matter. It's going for a very specific aesthetic, and boy, does it achieve it! It totally, it absolutely does. The look and feel of it, it feels, it feels grimy at times. It feels dirty when you actually get into the double deuce. You're like, this looks like a piece of shit bar. It's, it looks like exactly. I want to discuss something real quick, though, because, I mean, let's let's talk about the movie for a little bit here, plot-wise. Sure. <laughs> so Tillman wants Dalton to come bounce his bar. Now, his bar is in Jasper. We've established that Jasper is a small town. I don't see industry in Jasper, really. I see a couple residences, an auto parts store that has to be right next to the Double Deuce, and a car dealership. Not a lot of other stuff around. Not a lot of pavement. Not a lot of pavement at all. And Brad Wesley has made evidently millions because he can afford a helicopter off of the town by basically offering the Jasper Improvement Society, you need to pay membership or whatever, which basically amounts to him having his thugs come rob your place, take money off the top from you. Yeah, I don't get the let's pick this small town to have protection money scheme going on like they do in Hell's Kitchen, you know, back in the 40s. (laughs) And he's, I mean, Wesley says, I came here after Korea. This town was nothing. I built it up. We're going to have a JCPenney because of me. And I'm just thinking, like, how would you open the double deuce in a town that has this history and then say I've come into some extra money and I want to be able to retire or whatever, so I'm going to fix this place up. Where are the people going to come from that are going to make that at all profitable, that you need Dalton and all this stuff? I'm sorry, Tillman's... You can fix this plot easily. I don't know how exactly because I haven't really thought about it, but give me five minutes and maybe I'll come up with something that is better than the whole reason to have Dalton come to town. Tillman has the one bar in a one-stop light town that is clearly well-frequented anyway. He says he comes into quite a bit of money and wants to retire like to have the good life. I'm like, well, then you would take that money and put it away. Thank or you. invest it, as opposed to take your one bar, put what seems to be fifty dollars to $100,000 into it. Yeah. Go hire the best cooler in the game for a contract that pays him $130,000 a year, plus medical expenses, in 1988. It's just, the man is not good at figuring out how to spend money. He has no idea how to spend money. I mean, look. Obviously, you need some more roads and some pavement there. Tax-free munis in the town <laughs> might be something you want to look into as an investment. Well, I, I do, from a uh, behind-the-camera standpoint, I we got asked a question about, man, the double deuce kind of looks fake from the outside. There's a reason for that, because that is very clearly a facade. They built a of facade course. for that, and they built a facade for Red's uh, auto body. And yep. I've never seen in a modern movie a worse facade than the Double Deuce. Like so, it's so bad, incredibly terrible. It looks like a high school play. 
1952 Western wouldn't have accepted that. No. My biggest gripe with, and again, I'm not getting into the plot stuff because who the fuck cares? The B movie right from the start. It's as you said earlier, it's a drive-in film. But how does how does Tillman not realize that Wesley owns a fucking town and whatever he does with this bar, he's going to have to pay him more money or whatever? Like, I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> I know. I, I just don't get it. Like, what? These are plot things that are so easily fixed. And the writer, I guess, was in a bar, saw some bouncers. And I was like, this is a great idea for a movie. This brings me to a question I have for you, okay? You've definitely been to a lot more bars than I have in my life because I've counted them on one hand the number of bars I've ever been to. Have you ever seen a bar fight and have you ever seen a bouncer get into it with with someone? Yes and yes, but rarely. I've seen like two bar fights and I've seen a bouncer bounce a couple of people and is it is it anything like what we've seen in the film there are not full-scale psychotic fights where people have murderous (laughs) intent that is not what i've seen i want to get to the beginning of the movie where they're introducing dalton and they're at this club and he's clearly been running the show and it's a hopping club and everybody's happy and then one guy is getting out of control right and he says or they're trying to kick him out they finally say okay it's time for you to leave and the guy who's drunk is looking at dalton he's like you know I've been dying to go after you. It's like, why? Why? What is the point? What? What? I don't get that because we get it again at the Double Deuce. Everybody's got a knife at the ready. So they're doing a terrible job at the door. I, what is What is it with, maybe this is something in the late 80s. Did everyone carry a big fucking knife? When John Doe is up arguing for his job back, he just whips out a Bowie knife. Yeah. I, I, and all of Dalton's wounds, when you look at his medical chart, which he happens to carry around along with evidently his degree for some fucking reason. That that has got to be to pick up women. It's got to, <laughs> it has to be. It's like, oh, uh, uh, philosophy <laughs> from NYU. Yeah, got some broken bones, uh, you know, had some knife wounds. Oh, oh, did, did that? Oh, man, my degree <laughs> slipped in there from NYU. Oh, hell. I'm sorry. Did the title to my Mercedes slip in there as well? <laughs> it says you own a Mercedes and you have a philosophy degree. Look at that. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm an ER doc that evidently can stay out multiple times all night and it's never a problem with going to work the next day. Did the receipt for my sweater vest also slip out there? Because that's all yours if you want it. I, you know, the other thing, too, is when Dalton gets to the fucking double dues for the first time, he clocks everything that's happening. But it's all so obvious. Yes. The waitress dealing drugs, John Doe stealing, the bouncer who's way too aggressive. I don't know. People just throwing beer bottles at the Jeff Healy band. Okay, that I've never seen. I don't get (laughs) people that are like, I paid for this beer, but this asshole stopped playing. I mean, they had chicken wire up because it, it happens so much. Like, who is yes. throwing drinks? That shit's expensive. And I'm sorry, like I love Jeff Healy Band, but they got to they got to drain the main vein every now and then. And when you do that, put on Run Around Sue. It's fine with me. It's a good song. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned uh, the bouncer who is too aggressive, and we can't we can't go through this episode without talking about Terry Funk, the professional wrestler. <laughs> And Stuntman, who did some acting in like Rambo 2 and this and Over the Top. And his character, and this is where the writing, I, I think you are 100% correct. The, the writer went to a bar, he saw some bouncers, and he was like, I get it. But he didn't really <laughs> think about, you know, I don't think he talked to any of them. Because Dalton's coming in, and I'm sure Tillman had told the staff, look, we're going to be doing some renos around here. I went and I hired Dalton. 
I don't know when he's going to show up. He told me I owe him five thousand dollars, five hundred a night, and <laughs> he'll just fucking appear out of nowhere. So yep. I don't know when he's going to show up. Dalton comes in. Nobody knows who it is, and then the bouncer is like walking around. Terry Funk's walking around and looks. He's like, "Well, if you're not drinking, you're out of here too." And it's like, "What kind of business are you run?" Like, yeah. I don't, okay, good. First of all, Tillman, you need to fire him anyway. Then, <laughs> at the end, he asks Cody, like, so what's Dalton's deal? And Cody's like, well, the deal is, you fuck with him, and he'll seal your fate. And Terry Funk says, well, he hasn't shown me shit. What's he supposed to show you? Yeah. What is it that he, was he supposed to walk in and murder somebody just to show you that he could? Well, here's the thing about the Morgan, I believe was his name. Is that right? Yes, Morgan. His character. Character names are irrelevant. Let's just be very clear. <laughs> he wants people to show him stuff because he says, well, he hasn't shown me anything. And then he's basically asking Wade Garrett, Sam Elliott to show him his dick later on. Yep. So Morgan needs to see shit. Morgan he needs does to need see to see your bona fides. He's a visual learner. I didn't think about that. You're <laughs> yes. correct. Yeah. Well, and what I... Th- what I think is great is when he's also standing when Dalton's standing at the bar and the long lost Cusack is asking him like, Hey, what's your name? And <laughs> that, that is a Cusack. You know that, right? I don't That's care funny. what they say her name is. Yeah. Like Papa That's Cusack hilarious. stepped out, had this kid <laughs> married a, or had, had a kid with a, with a singer. Yes. And then, <laughs> and did ne- never acknowledged it, but damn. Yeah. But so Carrie Ann is asking Dalton what his name is. And he says Dalton. And she's like, oh, my God. Yeah, of course. Oh, my. You're Dalton? And then the the blonde bouncer, who I'm not even going to spend time considering what his name is. It's like, <laughs> did you, you, hear, you, you heard about him, right? Like, you ripped a guy's throat right out. Who's telling these stories? Where is this underground bouncer, yep. like, news service? Be like, Yep, we have a uh, Dalton who is obviously ranked number two, just behind Wade Garrett in worldwide points. He ripped a throat in Memphis today, guys. Look out for that. Like, where is that? They got him on the wire. They got him on the wire. They're like, you know, he's gaining on Wade. He still says Wade is the best. This is this is a a Roger Djokovic kind of situation here, where they all say he's still the man, but he's getting old, getting a little older. That trick knee. I'll tell you, Sam Elliott plays into that knee. That knee. First of all, I love Sam Elliott. Yes. I love Sam Elliott to death. I love him in everything he's in. He can be in Obviously. every movie. Obviously, Cole's rocking the Sam Elliott ponytail today. <laughs> but Sam Elliott does not look like he can barely stand in this film, and let alone fight. It looks like they beat him with a bat before every scene. I mean, yeah. it's not a limp. It's it's an inactive leg. Yes, it doesn't it work. The whole concept. Of all of these bouncers are are in like a league, and they're just trying to get to the bigs. And I, I I sort of love the the construct. I don't get it. I don't buy it. Well, the nomadic lifestyle that they have is insane to me because they literally just go around, fix up a club, and then leave. They they part their impart their knowledge. You know, I guess it's like Kane and Kung Fu, and they go. They see a problem. <laughs> They fix it, they get paid, and then they move They move along on to the next one. I, I just think the clubs that they leave are going to fall the fuck apart. Because no one that we've seen at the Double Deuce 
could ever take over for what Dalton does. None of them are cooler material. Well, this is this is bar rescue with fighting. <laughs> I guess that's true. That's great. You great know, point. they they do need to have that. And three months later, uh, the bar is now underwater. Uh, <laughs> they they have four deaths a week. That's not great. But the the blonde guy also. When he's like, did you see what Dalton just did? When that, that kind of first fight, when Dalton introduces himself and he gives his rules. All you have to do is follow three simple rules. One, never underestimate your opponent. Expect the unexpected. Two, take it outside. Never start anything inside the bar unless it's absolutely necessary. And three, be nice. Come on. If somebody gets in your face and calls you a cocksucker, I want you to be nice. Okay. Ask him to walk, but be nice. If he won't walk, walk him, but be nice. If you can't walk him, one of the others will help you, and you'll both be nice. I want you to remember that it's a job. It's nothing personal. Uh-huh. And called a cocksucker in personal? No. It's two nouns combined to elicit a prescribed response. I wonder if somebody calls my mama a whore. <laughs> Is she? <laughs> I want you to be nice until it's time to not be nice. Well, uh, how are we supposed to know when that is? You won't. I'll let you know. You are the bouncers. I am the cooler. All you have to do is watch my back and each other's. Take out the Those trash. rules are so perfect and so important that post Eric Gardner in New York, they decided that we need to show these to the police department because they yeah. can't pay attention to things and they need to be nicer. So we live in a country, I just want to say, and I'm not trying to get political or anything, we're roadhouse is used as a guide for police. Yeah, and and I think that, the and, and by the way, I saw that same article and I sort of researched it to make sure that it wasn't a satirical article. I was afraid that this was like an onion type of report. Yeah. And no, no, police departments are using this philosophy, which on its face is a good philosophy. The problem is the rest of the movie is predicated on the fact that we are going to see how quickly we can break every single one of these rules. <laughs> yes, Absolutely. And when I say we, I mean the hero of the movie. He doesn't he does not spend the movie showing how these rules lead to the correct result. He goes and says, Oh man, I'm just you gotta be nice, you gotta take it outside. Fuck it, I'll smash this guy's face in here, that's fine. And then I, I, I killed one guy in Memphis, it's killing me. Oh, I wanna get laid. I'm gonna murder everybody. That's just everyone. Everybody's gonna die now. Well, I think I boiled Dalton's philosophy down to these three things. Obviously, I want you to be nice until it's time to not be nice. I want you to exude quiet strength. Be that kind of stoic figure there. When the first two fail, just kill every motherfucker kill you can. Kill them all. Just kill them all. It's your- rip them throats. <laughs> Who came up with rip and throat is going to be the move? I don't know, but I mean, Tarantino's probably pissed that he had to oh. use the five-pointed heart technique <laughs> instead of rip throats as the finishing move. Because it's genius. Oh, God, it's genius. Esophagus, can't eat, starve death. <laughs> and in one of my favorite movies, MacGruber, 
<laughs> when that's his mood, he's like, oh, I got three in a row. That's a turkey. Ah, thank you, Roadhouse. <laughs> that that line never would have happened in my life without you. So crazy. Um, Sam Elliott, let's talk about him for a second here. I know we briefly touched on his lack of athletic ability or looking like someone who can stand but but the hair he the hair is the hair on. oh my god the hair is strong that's my hair, hair goals hashtag quarantine hair goals sam <laughs> elliott he has said that he gets most recognized for this film i don't know if that's still true after a star is born but at the time of the interview still gets most recognized for this film he doesn't think he was that good in it and he almost turned it down because it was so similar to his character in mask that movie was share and obviously our boy Stoltz. I would say that he's right about everything he said, and that's not me knocking his performance. There's only so good Wade Garrett could be in this movie, and he is as good as that role could be. Yes. But it yes. is poorly written. There's a stage direction in there that's like, okay, we're going to be in this diner. It's well lit. <laughs> this diner has a jukebox for God knows what reason. And you need to tell a story about a girl and some point, wherever you're comfortable, whip out them pubes. Show them what you got. Show them what you got. We got to see that scar and we got to see them pubes. And obviously, you're wearing them tight jeans. No undies. No, 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 no. Absolutely no underwear because pain don't hurt. Because pain don't (laughs) hurt. Pain don't hurt. Isn't that one of the most legendary lines ever? Uh, you're about to get you're about to get staples, not stitches, much to Kelly Lynch's dismay, since she prepared for a month in an ER and learned how to make stitches. What movie did she think she was in? I'm sorry, Kel. Like, no. what is the deal here? I mean, did you add that preparation to everything that you did in this film? Were you with Swayze for hours just working on when you pin me and I have my dress on? This is how it's going to work, you know. When when she when I read that cuz I saw it and I lo- I almost fell out of my chair. Oh my god. But when she does the staples, she doesn't even clean the blood up at the end. When he stands no. up, she puts the bandage bleeding everywhere. I'm thinking in during that month of learning how to do staples, they'd be like, "Okay, first things first. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to clean the wound." Uh-huh. Now, after we uh put the staples in or we we put the stitches in, if any blood has continued to run, we're going to dab that with some isopropyl or other cleaning agent. Yes. But when Patrick Swayze stands up and she's like, all right, you're all set. You got your bandage on. There's about a <laughs> quart of blood going down his side. <laughs> and I think I think that's why she might be working ER at the Jasper Medical Center. And not over at Mount Sinai or you know UCLA Health or anything like that. He's had a lot of wounds. He's a bleeder, in my opinion, because that knife wound in bands in bandstand and that club in the very beginning. I mean, that thing is bleeding like crazy. Maybe that's what knife wounds do. I haven't had one. Well, but yeah, because he's a human that has blood in him. I don't think he's <laughs> bleeding any more than usual. It seems like it's a little profuse. I don't know. I he would got t- Tinker got less. in there. Tinker got in there. Tinker did get in there. That's true. Because everyone has a gigantic crocodile Dundee knife <laughs> that they just bring with them everywhere. And, and Tinker being somehow a physically imposing figure in yeah, this film. Why? I'm sorry, but Wesley's band of henchmen is the most eclectic group of pieces of shit I've ever seen. <laughs> so Tinker, as a very quick aside, played by the actor John William Young, 
And I just want you to know that currently John William Young is an acting teacher. Oh, all right. Good for him. In case you're in the neighborhood and are looking for some acting classes. How many times has he started a class with, okay, so (laughs) imagine this. There's a polar bear. (laughs) And the polar bear is about to fall on you, but you have 10 seconds to get out of the way. You don't. You decide that you are going to shoot the polar bear. It's going to fall on you, which evidently, after all the violence that's happened, that's going to be what takes you down. <laughs> Go. No, I just assume he teaches nothing but stage combat. That's his <laughs> specialty. That's probably true. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, speaking of the bit actors, because as you said, it's just a cavalcade of morons that make up the henchmen <laughs> in this movie. But we also have the bar patrons. And I, part of the reason that there's such horrible, horrible acting, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart, is that most of these people are just stunt people because every fight, there's one punch thrown and then it's like instantly all 80 people on screen start fighting, throwing tables, breaking chairs, all kinds of shit. But there is, it's got to be a top five worst line read in the history of Hollywood and it's courtesy of Michael Wise. Are you kidding? No, Michael, are you kidding me? Exactly my response. Exactly my response. Every time I watch it. I know I would suck in a movie. Yes. But I wouldn't be that bad. Yeah, we would both be awful. But Absolutely awful. I feel like the director really hung him out to dry. Rowdy, cut. Let's just regroup, take a breath. We're going to run it back. Maybe, uh, maybe a little more like a human this time. You know, something tells me Rowdy was more concerned with what he was going to be filming right after that line. Yep. Maybe focus on that a little bit. Yeah, there is uh, the 80s required gratuitous nudity that comes out of nowhere for zero reason whatsoever. Yeah, and that brings us to Julie Michaels, who plays Denise, the blonde bombshell. I mean, the woman has had a very interesting career because she is not only in this film, which she does a fine job for her role, which is to really do nothing but it's look to be nothing and, but be beautiful. Yeah, exactly. Which she can do and and you know a stellar job at. She also beat the shit out of Keanu in Point Break. Yep, she was the woman in that. So she turned into a stunt woman. She did not fall into the trap of I'm just going to be the hot girl for whatever the five years I can until I age out because all of a sudden I turn 23. Right. She became a stunt woman. She has a career. She's been in a ton of shit. So shout out to Julie Michaels. Like really, she really got what she wanted out of uh, out of Hollywood and out of that life. But what is Wesley doing with her? She's like the trophy that he kind of hands out. And then it's like, go dance, go do this. I'm going to beat the shit out of you after you do it, though. The relationships in this movie that they try to make hay out of from a plot standpoint are ridiculous and unnecessary and make no sense. Yeah. And that actually includes... Patrick Swayze and Kelly Lynch. Totally does. Michael's character is there strictly to at some point do a striptease. That is the entire point of that character because I have a hard time believing, like when she goes up to Swayze and is like, would it shock you if I came up and said, let's go to my place and fuck? Well, it would surprise me with the psycho that's right behind you that's going to grab you and then go beat you up that you would come and say that to me. That that part is, yeah, that part's a little weird. Uh, and it, it just, it's all nonsense and stupidity and it's, oh, we got four minutes. Well, let's do a striptease up here where in every other part of the movie, when a girl gets up on the table to dance, Patrick Swayze's like, get him, get him down, get him down. But in this one, and I get that 
Brad Wesley's in there and he's got his henchmen in there and he's like let her dance, but Swayze's like, well, well, I mean, may as well watch this one. Cody, play something good. <laughs> like, <laughs> what is Brad Wesley just going to shoot everybody that's in there? That seems like that's impossible. That's not going to happen. Here's the thing: if he did shoot everyone in there, there would be no cops. Because there are no cops ever until the final scene of this movie. And every time I watch it, I'm going, we've got multiple explosions. We've got multiple attempted murder that happens every night at this club. They say Wesley has the cops in his pocket. Okay, well, here's the thing, Brad. If you want to own this club or if you want to own that business or whatever, because it seems like the only thing that generates revenue, I don't see anyone in Red's auto parts store ever. Right. And I rarely see people driving new cars, so whatever they're buying from the Ford lot is not the greatest. So why don't you just get the club shut down, and then you can buy it on the cheap at auction or something like that? You own the police, evidently. Why are the police never there, Cole? I've got I got a slightly practical reason. I don't think it's that they're never there. I think that they're just really far away. This is a town. Again, this entire economy is set up on 965 people as of the 2018 census so (laughs) it probably is less there's not that much to go around and small municipalities like that rarely will have a local police force so it would either be a county sheriff or somebody who may not be patrolling the area and by the time a fight and the double deuce is over they're probably just getting there you wouldn't send one guy undercover or something I, i don't know if you're having all these like Doc even says, well, you know, they send a lot of business my way. Maybe the police take notice of all these wounds that are coming out of the double deuce. I don't know. Maybe there's a place we need to clean up. As Wesley said, bad element over there. Bad element. It's true. You're, you are correct. God damn, he's a sadistic fuck. Like, Gazzara, I, I'm, he does a great job. He does. As, as inciting this hate and being this sadistic, maniacal piece of shit human being character. Yeah. And I think it's because he's in the movie going, I am so light years ahead of every other actor in this film and I've done so much more that this is just Ben being Ben. Yeah. Th- this is him going in and just dunking on everybody who's in it and nobody can, not not even Swayze. And I think Swayze is a very good actor, but this is early in his career um, where I think this is a movie where he's trying to apply some craft that he's been picking up in the last few years, but the 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 script really isn't there. I mean, there's there's one good line from Emmett. It ain't the money, you understand. But if I don't charge you something, the Presbyterians around here are likely to pray for my ruination. How does a hundred dollars a month strike you? Fine. You can afford that much? If it keeps you in the good graces of the church. Ain't it peculiar how money seems to do that very thing? Okay, that's genuinely good writing. Like I love that line. I chuckle at that. It's a good delivery. It's it's a really good little scene. But Gazzara is taking the same shit dialogue that everybody else has and is honestly fantastic in the film. Terror, like, I don't get why, even at the end of the movie, though, like, Swayze can kill all these other guys but is struggling fighting Gazzara. That's, look, this is the same problem I have with, like, Commando. Yeah. At the end. When you have a villain that is this kind of guy, you just have the unman, uh, you know, the unmatched fight at the end where it's just, it makes no sense. Obviously, the fight with Marshall Teague with Jimmy is the fight that we're waiting for, and that's the one that we get to, which we're going to go over that whole sequence because it's amazing. But I, I want to also quickly talk about another plot thing. So Wesley 
Well, let's just let them tell us what he provides for for them. And Mr. Tillman may own this bar, but the liquor he serves is supplied to him by Brad Wesley. Pat McGurn is in the employ of Mr. Wesley, his uncle, not Mr. Tillman. You see, I'm staying, and you're going. <laughs> so the liquor is somehow coming from Mr. Brad Wesley. Yeah. But there's no other way to get liquor into the town, evidently, but then Dalton makes a call. He knows the guy. How hard is it to get alcohol delivered? Go to Sam's Club. Whatever. I just don't... And And... Then, obviously, we got Wade Garrett coming in. He's got to help save the day because Dalton is getting the delivery of liquor. But these guys are like, no, we can't have you have any liquor. Again, Wesley, you own the town. You want them to shut down? What are you trying to do? What is your goal here with it? Do you want to buy the place? Because you can get them shut down real easily. You own everything. You're a moron. Yeah. Well, and, and you mentioned Wade Garrett having to show up for the liquor shipment. And I just want to say that Wade Garrett's introduction to the Double Deuce is one of the most badass entries into a movie where he stumbles back there because, again, left leg doesn't work (laughs) at all. But he starts fighting, and he's just, like, looking at him. When you kick somebody and then look at him and go, hurts, don't it? Yeah. (laughs) When you have the nuts to comment on the fight you are in, that's next level. That's where Wade Garrett still ranked number one. James Dalton, which, yes, guys, his name is James. Uh, you can see it on his medical file. James Dalton, a close number two. Named after Dalton, Georgia, I believe. Yes, so, I did see that. There you go. I, I also yeah. saw something, and this is what I love about you know either IMDb research or people just writing like 15 things you didn't know about whatever, is they tried to make like all these connections between the names that were in this movie and other people like either in the south or whatever i'm like yes there was another person named Emmett. that's not a (laughs) that's not a connection i'm sorry that doesn't make any sense well i also think it's funny andy dalton i guess his teammates call him not red rocket but they call him roadhouse yeah no they don't no they don't no they don't (laughs) i read that but i don't think that's true but i read it something else interesting so i guess the fans of this film i'm not making this up i read this it was actually on amc site Super fans of this film, which you and I probably would be considered. Absolutely. Call themselves roadheads. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to do that. I'm not either. I'm not touching it. But that is the thing. Evidently, it's out there. Oh, yeah. I'm not I'm not going to do that at all. But <laughs> all right then. Yep. To all you roadheads out there. <laughs> keep on keeping on. <laughs> I also enjoy in this film the 80s idea of the impractical weapon. (laughs) We see a lot. We talked about the knives. Everybody's got these huge knives. I mean, hell, one guy, Dalton's first night there uh, working after he gives his speech, he's like, all right, guys, let's open up. And then there's a dude there with a filet knife, like a Mm -hmm. filet fish. That makes no sense. We've got pool cues in heavy use. We've got the boot knife. Um, Uh Very impractical. I've never understood. And this is something that this isn't just Roadhouse. Like Kingsman uses this. This has been throughout kind of movie history. This Either the spring-loaded or the screwed-on boot knife. And all I think about is how many times I've like tripped over carpet in my house and like nicked my own ankle with my other foot. I'm like, it's just, (laughs) there's got to be a better way. Just use a steel-toed boot. That will still really hurt. 
That's that's hilarious. I you know, I like the fact you brought up the pool cues because I went deep with the research here, okay? <laughs> I'm trying I'm trying to compete with you. Oh, I can't wait. And do you know the professional golfer who says Roadhouse is his favorite film? I definitely don't. Well, it's all gonna make sense to you in a second because the professional golfer is Ricky Fowler. Of course. And there is a specific scene with Jimmy where he pole vaults over a bouncer to flip onto stage. <laughs> and I think you can figure out why yep, yep. old Rick loves him some Roadhouse. Yes, absolutely. It's a good pick. It's a good pick. It's a good pick. It's a good pick. Um, I want to talk about Marshall Teague, uh, who okay. plays Jimmy, the fucking bad psychopath. guy, bad guy. Yeah. yeah, this fucking psychopath. The first time he sees Dalton, he looks at him like he wants to fuck him. He looks at him like... The sisters looked at Andy Dufresne. Yes. It's the same look. He says things like this. I used to fuck guys like you in prison. You know, Brad Wesley even says... I see you found my trophy room, Dalton. The only thing that's missing is your ass. There is an odd fascination with Patrick Swayze's ass in this movie. And about doing things to said ass. So there's an undertone of homosexuality throughout this film that I just think is very interesting. The film has layers. It has depth. It has a lot of that as well. Okay. Everyone yeah. wants to fuck the sways. I get it. I get I get it too. But I just think it's funny. It. But I also, I mean, I used to fuck guys in prison. Uh, or I used to <laughs> fuck guys just like you in prison is one of, if not the most classic line of this movie pretty damn close. Uh-huh. I I don't understand the threat. No. But worse, Patrick Swayze's comeback is so bad. Oh, it's awful. Like all you could think of when a dude who clearly is going to try and kill you tells you that he used to fuck guys like you in prison is god, you're such an asshole. Well, this is this is my theory is that Dalton has been cultivating this philosophy. He's been trying to push down all those natural emotions that he has and his natural tendencies, the shit that got him in trouble in Memphis. You know, she never told you she was married. Most women that want to fuck you and that are married are not going to tell you they're married. That's, you know, there you go, Wade. But he's trying to hold all this back, build this facade, this philosophy. This film breaks him. The events in this movie break him. They break him to the point where he can't even go back to his days of reading philosophy at NYU and having a degree to come up with something that Confucius said in the situation when someone says to you they used to fuck guys like you in prison. Right. All he has is his basic instinct, which is, you're a fucking asshole. And that's it. And he's broken. And that's what's happened to Dalton. That is a next-level retcon for a <laughs> terrible comeback <laughs> from a philosophy major at NYU. But I'm willing to give it to you. I mean, you've dug deep today. I've I've been doing I've been trying to do my homework here. Do you want to talk about this fight scene between Dalton and Jimmy? Because we get a a taste of it. That's what this movie does so well. We get a taste of it at the bar with Wade Garrett and Jimmy, and then Dalton. We get a nice. Little, but then no, Wesley has to fire the gun off just because, of course, he has a gun and just fires it off in the middle to end the fight. Well, in every great. Really, 80s movie, but mostly all great movies where you want a fight between two different people. If you wait till the end, it's usually anticlimactic. But Karate Kid's the same example. How many times do the Karate Kid and Johnny fight before the final fight? It's like three times in the movie. You get a little taste of, 
either some sucker punches or whatever. And in this one, we get Jimmy fighting Wade a little bit. Mm-hmm. Wade can't hang. Again, tough knee. We see some with the sways. So I, I think that that's always a great job in in building the suspense of the final fight. The only movies that I think succeed in not giving you that fight until the end are boxing movies, but because I think everybody understands the concept of like a Rocky. Clearly, they're not going to fight until the fight. Along those lines of what you're saying, though, I just want to point out a film that I've always been pissed about because I was very excited for the movie. Um, it's called Sidekicks with Jonathan Brandis and Bo Bridges. Yes, it is. Seen it many times. This film suffers from not having that climax where they fight. It shows you them fighting a few times. And then when he's at his peak, what does he do to win? He breaks bricks. Yes. He breaks bricks that I believe are on fire, but we never see him fight the bad guy and kick his ass. And I'm pissed. I've seen it a couple times. Is this the movie where Brandis's character is always envisioning Chuck Norris? Yes. Okay. It's like his imaginary trainer. His imaginary. He's like imagining himself and missing an action and all these movies and all that kind of all that kind of stuff. He's doing like pull ups in his closet. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And he's got asthma. Yes. That I remember. It's a weird fucking movie, but always pissed me off that they didn't have that fight at the end. I remember seeing that in the theater and getting absolutely furious at the ending. I can see your eyes right now. You're still mad. Yeah. I, I still want that fight. R.I.P. <laughs> yeah. J.B. Yeah. So this fight starts kind of with some explosions and everything. And I don't think that you can fully talk about the final fight between Jimmy and Sways without getting back to the unbelievably badass way that Swayze like double gainers off of his <laughs> roof into the back of a truck hops out of that sprints and then takes the perfect angle to jump and get Jimmy off of his motorcycle which is moving which is moving that somehow Swayze was able to outrun spectacular yeah it's great choreography I want to know how many trampolines do you think were just out of sight you want to know where that 19 mil went <laughs> trampolines Tra- trampolines all into the trampolines gotcha yep um yep. sways with the bad knee obviously just sprinting off of his balcony is incredible so then they they find this really small and i thought this was a good uh a really good staging is they put it on a small little cove beach area where you yeah. actually can't run away there was sort of one entrance one exit and once you get into it there's a tree back here. There's water over here. You can't go away. So that was sort of an ingenious little move in being able to show that nobody can get out of this. We're going to be here till somebody's dead. And the fight progresses, and it's good. Like, you know, Dalton has the upper hand in the beginning. Then Jimmy comes back. They're obviously both very skilled. And then Jimmy at the end is like, well, I just happen to have an ankle gun here. How does that ankle Here's gun never come question. out? Here's my question. How does that, how does it never come out? What the? F- With all the kicking. So much kicking. I've got an ankle gun and I, we've got, okay, we, we should set the scene just a little bit. When they get there, we've got greased up sways in the sweatpants oh, yeah. that he was doing Tai Chi in. Because he was, he was also training. He was training in, you know, yeah. earlier where I'm wondering like, why are you training? What, what do you, like, just, just, just fucking leave. We're, we're going to talk about the Wade Garrett. Yeah, obviously we're skipping a bunch of plot. If you guys want us to really get into the plot, shoot us an email and we'll, we'll call you. Um, but, like, <laughs> or Wade. Or watch the film. Yeah. <laughs> Wade, Wade is totally right in this whole film. Like, why are we not just leaving? Yeah, we got to, we got to just cut and get out like, of town. Just, like, what, I still, even after, at the end of the movie, spoiler alert, um, he wins. 
Brad Garrett goes away, or Brad Wesley goes away. Uh, Brad Garrett probably does too, but whatever. <laughs> well, they do have that one like nine foot tall guy. That would have been that could have been Brad Garrett. That could have been Brad Garrett. Totally. I I don't know what the win is for Dalton. The win is that he has to always win. Here's the thing that makes no sense about Dalton's philosophy to me is nobody ever wins a fight. Do you ever lose? No. So do people just tie? I don't. <laughs> well, tying is the only other option we seem to have here. No, Dalton's rules are just rules that sound good that he spends his entire life breaking. So in this fight, it's it's a really well. I think the fight took like five days. Uh, with Jimmy to to actually film. They were really going after each other. There's an anecdote about how uh, Marshall Teague really didn't like Patrick Swayze, which I'm like, fuck you. Uh, <laughs> but gained, through filming this fight, gained a lot of respect for him. And they apparently got this trust together where they were like, no, seriously, you can improvise a little bit, take some shots, hit me. And Marshall Teague picked up a log that he thought was yeah. a prop log. And it wasn't and broke a couple ribs isn't the first time you get hit by that, don't you yell, cut, we got a real log in here, we're going to need... Yeah, um, we're going to need the set decorator to come back. Yeah, if you don't mind... Something got fucked up. I'd like to do a little uh, a little biff here and act like I'm getting hit. You don't actually <laughs> have to hit me with a log. It's going to be okay. But the ha- having the gun, pulling the gun out, I'm going to shoot you. Why are you going to take 10 seconds to shoot him after you say it? Just shoot him if you're going to kill him, if that's what you want to do. Enough time to persuades for Dalton to lift his leg and kick the gun out. And then we get the finishing move of all finishing moves. Literally rips his throat rips out. Rips his throat out. Like It's insane. I, I can't even... I'm like trying to do it to myself, and I realize that I'm not going to go through with it, but like, he's got to no, have... No, I wouldn't. It's, you got to want that really oh, yeah. badly. That's a, there's, a, there's a terribly maniacal... Uh, mentality you have to have to be ripping somebody's throat out, but then to go the extra step, and this may be the most hardcore thing in this whole movie, is to kill someone and then drag your kill out into the river to yell across at your enemy and say, Oh, it's so perfect, man. It's so perfect. I mean, how are you not Brad Wesley over there and you like get on a phone? You're like, hey, Emmett, I know there's not a phone over in your weird uh, little beautiful room above your barn. (laughs) But if you could get a message to Dalton that I am surrendering now, (laughs) uh, that's fucking that's fucked up what he just did. I mean, we can all agree. Insane. I get that. that I'm insane. Blowing shit up. But like that's that's. That's a real crazy person. And Doc is, she's like, I'm done. Elizabeth is like, I, I can't deal with you. She's done. She's going to go back to work the next day. But that's the part that gets me is, okay, so Dalton, obviously, a lot of adrenaline, never wanted to kill anyone again, killed this guy, probably has killed some other people because some of those wounds you're not coming back from. But then what do we think? He just, all right, well, I mean, Emmett's house is blown up. Uh, I guess I'll just go back. The barn's still cool. I'll just sleep. And then, I mean, head over to Double Deuce in the morning because it's work. Right. No, I, I think that her <laughs> reaction to this is sort of like, do you not see what has been going on the last few days? This person came here to kill me. Uh-huh. I didn't go hunting him. That was not my goal. That's not what happened. And as you said, 
once this started, there's just one place it's going to end. That's it. Yeah. There's there's one place that we're going to get to, which is either I have to leave town or um, a lot of people have to die. And that's another thing with his philosophy where he seems so so torn apart by killing one person in Memphis that it's almost like a, like an addict who's been clean for a while, but then they get that one drink and they're like, okay, I'm going to go on a bender. He goes on a killing bender for the rest of the movie. That is the best way to describe it. He goes on a killing bender. You know, he's like, all right, it's Saturday. I guess Monday I can start. <laughs> Saturday, Sunday, just everything, all of it, all the Oreos, all the murder, all the throats ripped. I'm, I'm good to go. Because it, what it does is it makes Wesley also just double the fuck down. And now what happens is he pulls a Dark Knight, or I would say the Dark Knight pulled a roadhouse. Now it's... One or the other. I'm going to flip a coin and either Wade's going to be dead or Elizabeth is going to be dead. And I want to talk about this real quick because he find Wade comes in. Wade has been beat up, beaten up. Wade comes into the double deuce when Dalton shows up 9 a.m. right and early for work. Got to get ready for, for the yep. night. Yep. Takes it seriously. And takes it very seriously. And what gets me is Wade has obviously had the shit kicked out of him, but he's still alive. So now Dalton realizes, okay, well, Doc must be Doc must be the one that they're going to kill. And now I'm just like, okay, why are you leaving Wade at the bar alone now? Now that you know one of them has survived, why don't you take him with you to the ER? By the way, he could probably use some medical attention. <laughs> Maybe drain some fluid out of a knee. Something. Wrap, wrap, wrap that up. And Elizabeth is like, I want nothing to do with you. Rightly so, because you're a fucking psychopath. So he goes back. He's like, all right, I'm finally ready to leave because she's done with me. Let's get out of here. What you wanted to do three days ago, by the way, when you actually had a functioning body. And Wade is dead because we got a note with a knife stuck in that says it came up tails. I have a feeling that if they were looking for Wade, that whoever suggested, well, let's just look at the double deuce, probably got killed at Brad (laughs) Wesley's because they were like, well, he's obviously not going to be at the double deuce. (laughs) What the fuck are you talking about? And sure enough. He's just sitting at the bar alone, drinking a yeah. beer, and gets gets murdered. And we've been talking a lot about murder and, and death and violence and everything. So I, I want to soften it a little bit now because we sort of skipped over the weirdest sex scene in five years. Oh, yeah. I want to hear this. So we got to get back real quick. Um, it, shocker, Kelly Lynch and Patrick Swayze, the two most attractive people in the movie by far, get together. They decide to have some sex. Um, not only because Pickens are real slim in Jasper, Missouri, but look at him. Yeah. So they go to his barn room that smells like, I don't know if you guys have been in barns, but on the best of days, it's just, just brutal. And heat (laughs) rises. And there's one thing that there's not a shortage of in this movie is sweat. So we know that it's hot. We know that it is very, very hot in Jasper right now. And he takes her back to his house. And he's got t-shirt, sweater vest, jeans, no underwear. We know that. Obviously. And a suede jacket on top. She's wearing a very weird white button-up dress. And they play a little music and they start dancing and it's romantic. And then they've never slept together. Okay. And this wasn't like a quick thing. They played it as a slow build romantic shall we call it lovemaking as opposed to just getting down but they they just they don't even take their clothes off 
he just puts her up against a wall. Still has all of his clothes on. She still has all of her clothes on. (laughs) And they just start having sex on the wall. Looks super uncomfortable because that's a rock wall. Yeah, it Uh, is. That looks like that would be painful. And I don't understand, like, no undressing. Like, very little kissing. I'm not saying they need to have some elaborate love scene. It just made no sense to me that that is how this love scene, which is shockingly... The only love scene in the movie blows my mind that that's the case. Yeah, that's very true. It is. B- besides it is. the the guy trying to sleep with underage girls real quickly in the back of the bar at the beginning. Yes, you could be my Saturday night. So I, that whole sex scene blows me away. Then we cut, and she's naked in bed. He's naked, sitting out on his veranda or his his balcony or whatever. And she gets up and goes and sits with him. So we get you know the required 1988 rated R nudity. Of course. It's just so weird. It, it makes no sense to me. And to top it off, and to add to the weirdness, when they fuck again on the top of his veranda or whatever, his little balcony thing, well, obviously, Wesley is looking on because he is so infatuated with whatever the fuck Dalton is doing. He's just creeping over there, just looking. Because Wesley is in love with Elizabeth. And this was one of the plot points that... Didn't make a lot of sense. They said that Wesley kind of went crazy after she left town. Right. Wesley's got to be 25 years older than her. At a minimum. And it's just, again, okay, it's all good. It's funny because, I don't know, sidebar here. We've been trained to kind of, uh, with, with movies, to not bat an eye at this kind of stuff. But then I watched the recent season of Ozark, and there is a much younger character who hooks up with a much older character, but the roles are reversed than normal. The female is much older and the male is much younger and it's jarring and they play it on the show as being jarring and they reference it numerous times as being jarring. It's never referenced the other way as being jarring though. No. And and it's just like, Oh, you get a pass. It's just one of those crazy things that it's like, let's get rid of that norm and let's just, whoever wants to be with whoever just do that. Yeah. And let's not be so distracting. Yeah. And that's another, you know, you brought up a good point with that plot point being both weird and unnecessary um, because they sort of make Doc feel like the win or or the the goal is, okay, I got to win this fight to get Doc. But she's never in the equation. It's Uh never about her, which is good. Like, it shouldn't be about her. But it's weird how the movie's like, oh, shit, we needed we needed a love interest in here. And Carrie Ann just ain't going to cut it. <laughs> because I, I did read that. And, and I, I not only want this, I need this. There is a three hour and 20 minute director's cut of this movie. Are you kidding? Three hours and 20 minutes. So that's an additional hour and 20 of, of whatever they decided to cut out of this movie. Because... While I'm glad they don't have less than what they have in the theatrical cut, you could cut 20 minutes out of this movie pretty easily. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Apparently, Carrie Ann got cut a lot out of the movie. So she it sounds like she had a bigger part. So I'm wondering, I don't think there would have been any sort of a love interest thing there. I think it would have been her kind of crushing on Dalton. Yeah. But I need that cut, man. So anybody out there who can find that cut, you guys hunted down JFK. A <laughs> uh, reckless youth force. <laughs> this might be a tougher ask, but if you can find that. All I know about Mr. Rowdy Harrington, based on his Wikipedia, is that he has directed several films and lives in Montana. That's the extent of my research that I was able to find on Mr. Harrington. 
So he may just have that cut, and he may just watch that nightly with a with a bottle of scotch. I don't know. I don't blame him. That's a good life. Yeah, Montana's beautiful. Three hours and twenty minutes of Roadhouse. I Montana's love it. beautiful. A lot of people realize Montana's beautiful, and that's why it's so pricey these days. <laughs> so don't even try to get something in Bozeman. You would be crazy to think that you could do that. But anyway, that's another sidebar discussion for another time. See, that's what makes you know. People say that those are our best podcast episodes where the jokes are all inside and yes. in no way. Uh, related to what we've been talking about. Pain don't hurt. The fact that Wesley is willing to destroy the entire town and evidently all sources of his income just to defeat Dalton is insane to me. You know what I don't understand? And this is the 80s, so I guess drugs are a thing at that point. Why is he just not a drug dealer? I don't know. That would explain all the money, everything, because I really honestly watch this movie thinking where's he getting all that money yep i mean it could be some oil money could be like i I just don't i don't get where his income comes from which makes his motivations so absurd to me i agree so i just think especially it being the 80s just going oh yeah no he's the guy who supplies all the coke and all the pills to everybody that woman that woman who was dealing at the bar definitely works for him and there's a whole thing and you know, that would be interesting if Dalton took down the drug syndicate somehow by taking him down. Well, that that's that whoa, whoa, that's Roadhouse too. <laughs> whoa now. I just uh <laughs> I don't want to venture into the fan boat territory. But guys, okay, there is a Roadhouse too. I, I don't want to spend too much time <laughs> sullying this episode with discussions of Roadhouse too, but it exists, it's out there. John Sheck co wrote it and stars in it <laughs> as Dalton's son. Now the first movie, it's clear his name is James Dalton. For some reason, his son's name is Shane Tanner. <laughs> and don't worry, Swayze nor the Dalton character are in it at all. Coach Yost uh, plays like an uncle. <laughs> Coach Yost. <laughs> we, got, we got Jake Busey as uh, a drug kingpin, I guess. I guess, But yeah. the best part of yeah. it is, if fan boats are for you, then this movie is for you. Because fan boats everywhere, like no cars. People just get around by fan boat. Yeah, no, could not get that uh, that permit. Um, I believe you can write to, just say, just write something to Aaron and then just put Alaska. And then you can get a copy <laughs> of that film. <laughs> okay, so before we kind of close the book on Roadhouse, I, I do have to say that it is clear the screenwriter attempted to write some like sayings. Some of them worked. And some of them didn't. Like, you know, we give Emmett the, call me sirs like putting an elephant in an elevator, whatever that line was, you know. Elevator in an outhouse. Yeah, yeah elevator yeah, in an outhouse. It don't make no sense. It don't make no sense. Okay. If you have to say at the end it doesn't make any sense, you're explaining the <laughs> saying and yes. now it's just bad writing. Uh, then he gives a very good one to Emmett, which we mentioned earlier about, you know, money to the church always makes him happy. There's also one that read... Mentions and this is with this is during the uh, karate gi shirt scene. So you may have you know not been paying attention because you're trying to understand why he's wearing a karate gi. <laughs> but <laughs> he basically says like, "Hey, is there you know is Brad Wesley stealing from you guys? How much does he take? You know." And Red looks at Dalton and says, "Well, does a hobby horse have a wooden dick?" No. What kind of fucked up <laughs> hobby horse did you have as a kid, screenwriter person? I have never seen a hobby horse where they were like, here's the problem with this hobby horse. It hobbies just fine, but anatomically you're missing 
So, again, screenwriters, yeah. and I'm not one. I'm not a screenwriter. Writing is very difficult. I know some authors. It, it amazes me what you guys are able to do. But if you're trying to write a cool line or a cool joke and it's not working, move on. It's okay. Kill your darlings. Kill your darlings. That's what <laughs> it's they say. Okay. But uh, other than that, man, I don't have much else for Roadhouse. I mean, it's it's sadly, we never got a sequel. We didn't get a reboot. They were going to reboot it with um, Ronda Rousey. Thank fucking God that didn't happen. And not even because of, you know, casting Ronda Rousey or anything like this movie doesn't need a reboot. It did nope. not need a sequel. Just it it standing there alone as a piece of film history is perfect. I mean, here's the thing about it, though. And I, I totally agree with you about this standing as a piece. And we see at the end, like he ends up with Elizabeth and they're kind of living happily ever after. And obviously he's staying in Jasper. But if they had changed that ending, I could totally see this turning into a Jack Reacher like thing. Yeah. Let's talk about Dalton when he went to this town. Let's talk about Dalton when he went to that town. You could have had an absolute franchise on your hands of all this stuff. I would have watched those. I would have watched all those movies. Just like I'll watch all the Jack Reachers. And thank I mean, thankfully, they're trying to make a series now, hopefully. But it lends itself to that completely. It did. And I think maybe it had it made 60, 70, 80, 100 million dollars. We might have had that opportunity, but the way that they ended it, you know, it, it doesn't it doesn't scream for a sequel. But I totally agree with you that it sets itself up. As, you know, anytime you've got a vagabond hero, yep. that doesn't have to be tied to where he is, you know, fantastic. But I'm with you. I would have watched a million of them. That's why we watched Roadhouse Two. That's one of the reasons we watched Roadhouse Two. <laughs> um, never gonna get that time back. Yeah, we are. We are never going to get that time back, but we can give the people some recommendations of things that they can watch if they like Roadhouse. So what do you got for us? All right. So for my man, Terry Funk, you're going to want to watch <laughs> Over the Top. <laughs> Spectacular 80s film. Love that movie. You got Loja, you got Sly Stallone, arm wrestling, all the good things. Uh, for Swayze. You've heard me say uh, Waking Up in Reno a bunch, but I'm going to go with Tu Wong Fu. Thanks for everything, Julie Newmar. Great film. Unbelievable film. For Kelly Lynch, uh, Drugstore Cowboy. Love it. And for these types of 80s action movies where there's just a bunch of nonsense action, I want you to do the JCVD double feature of Kickboxer and Bloodsport. Love it. Love so. it, man. Those are some good wrecks. God, you guys are in quarantine, but you're going to feel like you're in heaven <laughs> when you watch all those, let me tell you. What do you got? So for Swayze, we've talked about so many good Swayze films. As you said, Waking Up in Reno. I think I've mentioned Donnie Darko before, which he's great in. I'm going to go with 1114. It's one of the last films he made. He has a small, small-ish part in it. He's good. It's one of those films where it shows everything that happened around the time 11-14 and how all the different characters interacted and all that kind of stuff. Not a great film. It's got Colin Hanks, but it's it's fine. And Swayze is good in it, playing a different type of character because getting towards the end of his career. For Kelly Lynch, I mentioned it before, but The Jacket, Adrian mm-hmm. Brody, Kira Knightley. I enjoy this film, but mainly because I'm a sucker for Adrian Brody. I think he's a fantastic fucking actor. And Kelly Lynch is great. She's great in this, in her role as a strung out mom to Kira Knightley. But it's a good movie. It's got time travel in it. So, you know, I like that. Jennifer Jason Lee, Chris Christopherson. Hold hold on real quick. The way you just described that whole movie and then just sort of very lightly dropped in, it's got time travel in it too. 
Like it's got, it does. You know, it totally she's does. a strung out mom. Yeah. It, it's really well. Adrian Brody's such a good actor. He's got a little time travel. And then uh, we've got Chris Christopherson. <laughs> it's really, I just yeah. love the way that you just. Little, That's little, how they pitched it. Little stack no, on the back end right there. It's it's an interesting film. It's an interesting film. But for these types of films, and you went the JCVD route, so did I. Of course. I tried to f- capture a J or find a JCVD one. I've seen pretty much all his movies that he had back in the nineties. I, w- I loved all his films. One that is most similar to Roadhouse in terms of a somewhat wanderer who wants to take down a system in town that's controlling a lot of things. I had to go with Hard Target. That's a good film. I like that movie. Hard Target. I like Hard Target. It's a good movie. It's got some really good action scenes. JCVD has the long hair in there. And you get, as a bonus, you get Wilford Brimley doing a Creole accent. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you do. And so you can't beat that. I mean, that's just a good time. (laughs) Hard Target. Great film. Excellent Rex, man. Love them. Well, that about does it for Roadhouse. And let me tell you something. That was not painful and it did not hurt. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for listening. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at SigBurnsPod. You can email us at CigaretteBurnsPodcast at Yahoo.com. You can hit us up at the website, CigaretteBurnsPodcast.com. So that website's going to be changing soon. we got the Facebook link up there now, which links to the Facebook group. If anyone would like to join, just ask, and I will approve it. I don't care who you are, basically. <laughs> so we're approving all, all people, and we'll filter out whoever's you know not great for the group later on. <laughs> this is the secret Discover Card Club. It totally is. It totally is. <laughs> Automatic approval, and you can get banned. I don't know how to do that yet, but we'll, we'll figure it out. If necessary. Yeah. Anyway, thanks so much for listening, guys. Anything else, Cole? No, man. This has been great. I had a blast with this movie, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. We'll see you later. Later, Burners. So Swayze runs. Boom! Tackles the guy off the motorcycle. Dude's like, you're dead, bro. Comes at him. Swayze ducks. Scissor kick. The guy has Swayze's head, and he says, I used to guys like you in prison. By the looks of this guy, this is not consensual sex we're talking about. We see bad guy had a gun the whole time. He's like... I'm gonna kill you the old-fashioned way. Swayze's like, not this time. That subtext, he doesn't say that. Bypasses the gun, hooks the arm, back to the secret move he used before to kill somebody. He feels so bad about it, but this time he has to do it because of self-defense. Takes the esophagus out of the neck area. You can't eat. You'll starve to death. And that is Roadhouse. And every guy has got you in his side What you're doing with a clown like me You surely want a life to do Turn your angel eyes
Turn your age. 